0: Ginoa. This is Charles Smith. I'm Ojibwe from the Fauna Wack Reservation, and you're listening to the Middle of the Res Road podcast.
1: Hoosie Nisanabe, Doug. This is Joel Boje. I'm an Ojibwe from the Boys Fort Band of Chippewa Indians. This is in collaboration with the Minnesota Tribal Contractors Council, a.k.a. MNTCC, the show that is designed to be the source of information about industry job opportunities, success stories, trainings, and upcoming projects for Native Americans.
0: We also share about our culture and language because it is the foundation of our identities. Oh. Boozhoo, Ginoa. Welcome back to the middle of the res road. This is Charles Smith. Uh, we are doing an impromptu episode today with Brent Rush with Enbridge. And hey, Brent, can you explain a little bit of your role at Enbridge and who you are and where you come from?
1: Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, Buju, honey, miigwech. Appreciate the opportunity. Um, I am uh, with Enbridge working over in Michigan. I'm uh, based in our Bay City office, but I, I do uh, tribal engagement for Enbridge across the entire state. A lot of focus on the Straits area and our uh, uh, Great Lakes Tunnel project um, there. I've been up in Michigan for about a year and a half. Been with Enbridge since 2015. Uh, down in Oklahoma for the first six years uh, that I've been with uh, Enbridge. Uh, as uh, I'm a uh, member of the Citizen Band Potawatomi tribe down in Oklahoma and. Uh, what drew me to, uh, to Enbridge was actually doing some work with the tribes when I was in Oklahoma and then doing even more when I got up here to Michigan. So Miigwech, appreciate being here.
0: I appreciate you coming on short notice even, uh, can you, so before we, before we started the episode, you were telling me about being on the news before. Yes, yeah, so
1: I I really enjoy this. This is my first podcast, for the record, uh, and uh, but it, it, it's taking me back a little bit. I was a news reporter for twelve years out in California, in Bakersfield, and uh, I'm going to be dating myself a little bit. But I worked for Buck Owens, and I think some of the older folks listening might recognize that name from from the old show Hee Haw. Um, and uh, Buck was a, a country music, uh, basically a superstar back in the '60s and '70s, and uh, but I really enjoyed working in radio, going every day. You never quite knew what, what the day was going to bring you. And uh, we were about 100 miles north of Los Angeles. We got a little bit of the, of, I want to say the weirdness from L.A., kind of rolled over into, into our town. And uh, got to interview a, a lot of interesting people when I was, when I was there. And uh, just really enjoyed the interaction with, with folks. I think probably a couple of my favorite interviews was Jay Leno. Got to interview him for a half hour about old cars um, one-on-one and then I uh, got to cover the Grammy Awards one year um, back in 88 really dating myself when uh, Don't Worry Be Happy was the winner of the uh, at the Grammys that year over.
0: That's still a classic though. Yeah
1: yeah and uh, beat out Tracy Chapman's driving in a fast car. I remember the a lot of the reporters in the back at the at the Shrine Auditorium weren't happy that uh, Tracy Chapman <laughs> lost.
0: How does a citizen ban a pot of water me? End up in California. So my dad was born in Kiowa,
1: Oklahoma. He had eight brothers and sisters. And uh, he was born in uh, 1943. And he was part of that Dust Bowl migration uh, that uh, forced a lot of families out of the Midwest uh, into California. Very poor. uh, He, uh, with his brothers and sisters, picked cotton. um, Ended up in the uh, labor camps in Arvin outside of Bakersfield, uh, Sunset Labor Camp. And it was actually, my family's profile in a magazine way back in the day. I've got a copy of it, um, of how they were surviving through those tough times. So that's how he ended up in California. And um, he ended up uh, getting a trade, becoming a, a union iron worker, along with one of my uncles. And, uh, and then he uh, um, started his own company. It was pretty successful and uh, ended up in Fresno out of Bakersfield. And then um, in my youth, we moved around a little bit due to construction, but ended up settling in Bakersfield for most of my life.
0: I'm a second language speaker of Ojibwe, so, and I know the Potawatomi, we consider them the little brother of our tribe, and it, Potawatomi people are part of the Algonquin language family, and then you got the Kickapoo's down in Oklahoma, too. And I'm just curious, was your dad a speaker of Potawatomi, or where where in your lineage did they speak
1: yeah, it was, uh, they, it wasn't spoken, um, and as matter of fact, it, you know, there's a cultural disconnect, I'll just be honest, um, for when I was growing up, we, you know, I knew I was a tribal member, but I didn't know what that meant, um, and it's only when I uh, got older that I uh, wanted to learn more about it. You know, you get a tribal newsletter once a month, that's not really connecting you to the tribe, so um, when I got to Oklahoma, I had a, uh, You know, the idea of working for the tribe at one point, uh, that didn't work out, but I I did get to know people there um, working with Enbridge because I joined uh, the American Indian Chamber of Commerce in Oklahoma and was uh, participating in their leadership, Native Oklahoma, and so we got to go to all the tribes, or several of them in Oklahoma and meet with their uh, their leadership, including Citizen Band Potawatomi. So I got to learn quite a bit. They have a great language program there. I got I get teased in Michigan because I say Minowabin for good morning, and I know that's not uh, <laughs> how everybody says it. But uh, it's, what do they
0: say in Michigan? Is um, it Minogige Minogige?
1: Yep, yep, that's that's right. And so I get a little grief over the Potawatomi language. But there's some tribal elders I. Uh, talk with frequently that are from Natawaseppi and pokagan, so um they'll they'll back me up when I say something if it doesn't sound right to some of the folks,
0: yeah, Minawabung that sounds that sounds like a good way to do a morning greeting. I appreciate that,
1: <laughs> yeah, they were saying it was like that doesn't make any sense. it's like good tomorrow or something I think we were trying to no
0: And sure. in, in in the language wabun literally means the sunrise, yeah, so when we say wabung it's we're saying. Tomorrow, but wabung literally literally means when the sun is rising again,
1: yeah, well, I enjoy getting teased on this language stuff because it means you know obviously if you're teasing one another you, you there's a good, oh, yeah, good yeah. relationship there so
0: no, but when you said that, I was like, dang that is an interesting way to say. It. I might have to ask the elders if they use that ever, yeah, my grandmother, my adopted grandmother i when I moved to the cities to go to the University of Minnesota, I was adopted by a uh, Potawatomi speaker mm-hmm. that I worked with uh, in a uh, Ojibwe practicum worked in a Wichoye, Wichoi, Wichoi It's an immersion pre-pre K program, and my grandmother she would go in and out of Potawatomi all the time, so she could speak both Potawatomi and Ojibwe, and she would navigate both languages. And no, I understand that. So That's that immersion.
1: The way to do it, yeah. There's and there's some great resources now. Um, Mango is a uh, an app or a website, but they offer Potawatomi language courses um, oh. through that um, as well. But you can take them. But you, uh, for me personally, it's just tough unless you find others you can really speak with frequently to to kind of immerse yourself in it. So,
0: I would think it would be just a little bit different. So my uh, my professor at the U of M. He's from Oklahoma, so it was one of the first people that I ever met from Oklahoma. I had a regular interaction with them, and uh, the slang from Oklahoma. Yes. Uh, So I started saying y'all, and, it, and so I'd come back home, and I'd just say y'all, and they'd be like, why are you saying y'all? I'd be like, it's easier to say that than you all. So I'm like, I'm just saying y'all. And then as soon as everybody started using it around here, I stopped using it because I was like, I'm not going to be a part of that anymore. But. um, Well, it's funny when you travel, the
1: difference between soda and pop, right? There, yeah. Is
0: there, is there we be got a awesome? down there. We got ed
1: Yep. Yep.
0: So, no, I appreciate, no, I've learned a lot from people from Oklahoma and the way they roll and the way they speak. I love the way they speak. Yeah. I, I just. Um, uh, And my adoptive brother, he's. Uh, chata and i'm always learning something about southern people
1: they've, they've some really ex- great things happen with some of the tribes on there chickasaw comes to mind um i don't know if you knew this but they've they got their own uh chocolate it's called oh. called bedray chocolate bedre. check Ch- uh, chickasaw nation puts out it's b-e-d-r-e and uh yeah folks want to look that up it's uh it's really good chocolate and they sell it all um across Oklahoma and maybe beyond that. But uh, it's neat to see businesses like that and some of the tribes coming, you know, doing some really interesting things with, uh, with some of their tribal enterprises.
0: Yeah, Oklahoma seemed like they were really well represented at the Res23 Summit. Have you ever been to the Res Summit? I have not been to the Res Summit. you got to check it out. Yeah, we had Oklahoma's a, always doing something. They always have uh, Cherokees or Cherokees are always doing something big especially at the Red Summit, or what I've noticed. It was my first time going down there, and they seemed like they were all over the place.
1: Yeah, I know that the, a lot of folks uh, went. I just didn't have the opportunity to go. And um, the American Indian Chamber had uh, one of the gathering they call each year. I think they just had it, or it's next, might be next week, actually coming up, um, that, that I would attend frequently. And I know coming up this fall, one that I'm going to down in Oklahoma, I'm in Shawnee, um, Potawatomi Nation's hosting is a repatriation conference they do annually. They did the last one last year, last fall in New Holland, Michigan. A really great conference talking about efforts for repatriation.
0: So on the American Indian Chamber of Commerce, mm-hmm. uh, how many tribes are a part of that? Uh,
1: so there are 39 uh, federally recognized tribes in Oklahoma. Uh, n- not all the tribes are directly Members of the chamber, uh, a few are, but there, you do have a pretty good representation of uh, from every tribe of, of through, throughout the membership with businesses, and um, it's comprised of native and non-native uh, members. But it's just it, it works well because people really connect, and um, they actually connected with Australia of all places, brought in um, a delegation from Australia, and I talked with one of the business owners from uh, a Native business owner from Oklahoma, and he ended up getting a multi-million dollar contract with uh, with in Australia through that connection. So the, 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 the American Indian chambers, um, I know there's one in Wisconsin. Um, there's one starting up in Michigan. Um, I understand it. And, and I just think they're just a great, uh, uh, resource for folks to connect. So.
0: Yeah. And I'm curious. So you're getting to know your, your people. Mm-hmm. And with that, uh, you know the Supreme Court decision last year gave back like half of Oklahoma. Yeah, the McGirt decision. Yes. Did that affect your tribe at all?
1: No, it was uh, focused mainly on the uh, the five recognize uh, the five tribes that uh, um, uh, on the eastern side of Oklahoma: uh, Cherokee, Seminole. Um, I'm drawing a blank, but uh, Chicksaw Choctaw, I think, um, directly. Um, but it, it does, it has repercussions, obviously, across all of Indian country um, with uh, sovereignty. And um, and so I, the citizen Potawatomi and other tribes are watching it closely and continue to. Um, but, yeah, it didn't have the direct impact. Um, but it, it was mainly around a criminal case in Oklahoma. And it really almost immediately threw um, uh, the state of Oklahoma into a bit of a spin. I bet. <laughs>
0: That's the tribe. That was so, huge. And. So how does that have, so you're going down to Oklahoma for the Chamber of Commerce meeting? It's a repatri-
1: it's a repatriation conference. It's not through the chamber, it's a different meeting.
0: But Are you doing the Chamber of Commerce meeting?
1: Um I'm
0: not going, but uh we have uh some uh folks from Enrich that'll be attending it. Yeah. I don't know if you've met since that decision has happened. Has that been brought up at the Chamber of Commerce decision? Yeah,
1: yeah it's it's been talked about and they've had um uh, legal experts come in and, and do some presentations. But I mean, bottom line, it's a win for sovereignty, right? And yeah. so it's, it's one that uh, hopefully it will be built upon. Um, but don't want to get too political here, but I know that there's just some challenges with the tribes in Oklahoma with uh, the state. So and probably that's true with every state with every state, but uh, there's uh, certainly some things they've got to work out um, on uh, the aftermath of that decision still.
0: So, I'm curious about tribal engagement, so mm-hmm. you're learning who who you are as a Pottawatomi person, and you get into tribal engagement and you know you bring up an interesting word sovereignty and it's it i I can't attend uh, any of our our band meetings and sovereignty doesn't get brought up or I can't do any work with the chairman without him bringing. The word sovereignty up so how does sovereignty play into tribal engagement at enbridge
1: it, it's it's such a core um uh part of our interactions i mean you've got a uh, anyone doing work with a tribe has to understand sovereignty and what it means to that particular tribe i mean it can mean different things to different people but certainly um when i took that i took a tribal sovereignty course actually at Pawnee Nation College down in Oklahoma And, you know, you've got to realize that, uh, understand nation-to-nation consultation, um, what powers really should lie with um, different levels of government. Um, You know, the federal government and Congress in particular, and, you know, and then states are at a different level, not at the same level, frankly, as the tribes and and federal government. So you've got to respect that sovereignty and uh, and, um, work through... Um, any issues in that context. Um, to do any less is, frankly, disrespectful. Um, now, that said, there you're, certainly there'll be disagreements with any sort of, uh, at times, um, as you try to work through things, but uh, I think within understanding sovereignty, there's a framework there that can be uh, built out where you can, hopefully, everybody can get to a good place at the end. But if you go in and, as we all know, if you go in and, and start talking to a tribal Representatives and don't understand sovereignty, you're going to have a really difficult time uh, off, uh, down the road. And, and even worse um, are um, entities that go in and talk to tribes that don't, or don't even talk to tribes um, and leave them out of any sort of consultation process, which is something at Enbridge we're committed to not, you know, we're committed to making sure that those consultations happen and we want to be at the table and want to be talking, uh,
0: especially if there's an, any sort of disagreement and so with tribal engagement how does that how so being a citizen band of Potawatomi, and how does that work into like the everyday process of what you do at tribal engagement
1: I, it really helps me I think um, because I try to take a step back and understand both uh, both um, and try to step into both worlds a little bit um, and 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 try to understand what folks are thinking you've you got to it's about bringing people together and trying to find common ground um, in a lot of cases. So, uh, but, you know, I'll never make the assumption that I'm going to know what, how a certain tribe is going to react or what their view might be. Because I, especially in Oklahoma, I learned this uh, with 39 tribes. No tribe is going to agree with another. It's very difficult, very different mindsets between the tribes themselves. So, for me, it's just about making sure that you're talking. Um, and you know, we've had, um, some issues with communications, uh, and we're trying to break down some barriers there still. Um, but it, you know, we really want to, we want to get those lines of communication. Cause if you're not talking, what are you, what are you really doing? It's, it, it devolves into really, you're not going into a good place. So. That's really where we want to be—is just talking, and I think I think just being a uh, member of a, a tribal member and and seeing how tribes have uh, responded in a number of situations when I was in Oklahoma, and coming up to Michigan now, it's really given me some good, a good basis for kind of some understanding.
0: Yeah. So when I'm when I'm fulfilling my role at Fond du Lac, I never feel bad for telling anybody. Whenever I'm making a decision, whenever I'm working, I, underst- I I learned this from the chairman, and I appreciate this point of view all the time, is that I work for the membership. No matter what, no matter how you describe my role for the band, is that the people that I'm doing that for is the people that are part of the membership. So I try to always whatever decision whatever recommendation whatever i present or whatever programs i I start on on Fond du Lac, i always remember that the people that i have to answer to is the membership the people that i'm doing it for is the membership so you know that's an interesting perspective and then doing you know consultant work i'm up, i i try to navigate that too as much as you you must try to navigate that too well on one hand you're you know you're a member you know what's right and then on the other hand you got to help people learn right and then you got it's like uh you're like a conduit you're like it, just the mediator in between two parties a lot of the times trying to get the best for both well
1: it's i think it's an exciting time for our tribes, just because we've got more of a voice now than I can ever recall. Um, and it's, it, you know, it's a great opportunity to grab that seat at the table and be part of the discussions like we've never been before. And uh, Enbridge, we want to po- have folks to pull up a chair. And um, when you see companies uh, like Enbridge doing that, I mean, I, I, I highly encourage tribes to take advantage of it. And, um, you know, it's better, um my my tribal chairman um uh he he said right after dapple happened he goes you know it's better to be have a seat at the table than be screaming from the sidelines um you know if you really want to be impactful there there's some really great constructive ways to do it and some great opportunities out there to do it so
0: so when you're working with tribes uh what does how do you get them to come to the table so, what are some strategies that you do? So, yeah, so I came up uh, to Michigan in like
1: January of last year, and uh, uh, with the uh, our tunnel project, we have 12 tribes in Michigan all opposed to the project. And so there's been a real breakdown in communication. So, what we're trying to do is have one on one conversations with folks. Just share good information out there. The, the biggest challenge out there is social media, frankly, because you get people in, I call them these echo chambers, where they just kind of get reinforced with the same information over and over, or a lot of times uh, misinformation about certain things. So we're just trying to provide factual information to them. We've got some great um, um, initiatives in Michigan. We meet with uh, pipe carriers um, with some frequency and elders uh, just to receive guidance, go in and we offer tobacco and just try to get some uh, advice on how best to uh, engage with uh, with the tribes and and it's a, it's in a very uh, safe environment, very. Uh, but you know, it's also where it, we keep, it can be kept keeping it real, as they say. You know, on on uh, on how we should or should not be uh, approaching things. But uh, it's I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's still a challenge. And uh, that's why I just uh, you know any opportunity I can to meet with anyone one on one and and share information I'm I'm willing to do it.
0: But uh, we still are working to try and get some some folks to the table. Frankly, so the tunnel project, all twelve tribes are approached to it right now in yep. Michigan. Yep, and that is that is a lot of work. Yeah,
1: yeah. They said come up from Oklahoma. You know, you want a challenge. So, uh, <laughs> but you know it's it's a good it's a good. Challenge, Um, And I think, you know, when I say all 12 tribes, certainly not all the membership of all the tribes. There there are a lot of supporters of the tunnel project out there, and we we hear from them. But it's just the political climate's tough right now. So we've got to work through that. And, uh, and, And it's a great project. I mean, honestly, we, you know, we heard concerns over the water at the Great Lakes and at the Straits. And so, well, hey, let's build a tunnel that goes underneath the lakes and takes... that risk and addresses it and uh and uh but still there's opposition which um you know is is a bit disappointing but you know uh people have their views and uh, we just need to convince them hey you know you want to protect the water that you know this is a 500 million dollar project that's going to do it and there aren't a lot of companies that would want to step up and you know frankly do something like this and I'm, i'm lucky to be working for enbridge and at a company that wants
0: to and, and knows it's the right thing to do. So. so the tunnel project, it's a $500 million project, goes underneath the Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. When you're tunneling, at are there going to be people in the tunnel building sending the pipe through how does that work can you explain the project just a little bit
1: yeah so and anyone who's up at the uh, in st ignis uh, on the north side of the straits we have a tunnel information center encourage them to come by and see uh, a lot of the information there but uh, yeah there's a uh, there'll be a boring machine that will go um, underneath and there'll be people involved there replacing bits and stuff so it's not like people are going to be down there with uh, pickaxes or anything trying to dig it but um, it's going to take a, a couple of years to uh, at least uh, two to three i, I believe to um, to uh, Complete the boring and and uh, get that done once all the permitting is completed. But it's it, it technologically it's just I mean you think about the channel that goes from uh, Great Britain to France that they uh, that they built same type of technology a lot of YouTube videos out there where you can see those machines and how they work. But um, amazing project one of the, one of those once in a lifetime opportunities to be involved in a project like that actually and uh, certainly again from a from a tribal engagement perspective we want the tribes to be involved. We want them to see what this looks like. We want them to be uh, engaged, ask questions, and make sure we're doing things the right way.
0: And then how much pressure? So the tunnel is underneath Great Lakes. How much pressure is down there and within the tunnel?
1: I'm not going to be able to answer that specifically. I'd have to look that up. But I can tell you that once the tunnel is completed, there will be an actual little rail system in there or to scratch that. Once the tunnel is completed, there'll be a vehicle that can go back and forth for maintenance. But it's my understanding there the atmospheres will be fine for people down there. But during construction, there's going to be some pressures and atmospheres that'll um, they're going to, have to be taken into account.
0: Interesting. Ma'am, uh, is there any other, infor- where can you get this information besides the information center?
1: So if you go online at Enbridge.com and you can do a search for the Line uh, 5 Great Lakes Tunnel Project and you'll find all kinds of information. We update information every week with some stories about things that are going on, all kinds of facts and figures there that people can pull up. And And uh, if, if anyone's interested and wants more information, they can reach out to me as well and I can I can share information with them.
0: So the 12 tribes that oppose it, is there going to be work specifically set aside for any of the tribes or any of the, say, construction, anyone in construction, laboring, or whatever? Definitely. Yep,
1: that's part of the plan. And it's still in the progress, uh, a process of identifying the main contractor for the project. So we haven't landed on percentages or numbers around that yet, but that's certainly something that's going to be built into the project,
0: yes. Do you guys do tarot? Tarot hires over there? Yes. Like, so when you're working within the.
1: Yeah, so we have a dedicated uh, staff with our supply chain management uh, team, and they work with tarot officers um, uh, uh, specifically on indigenous contracting. So in my role, I will see uh, proposals for work where our um, internal project managers have to um, take into account um, tribal uh, spends, native businesses, and uh, we have a database internally, and we make recommendations. And if, uh, if they don't use uh, a native business, they have to justify why. Um, but generally speaking, we've got real great support from our projects and our uh, operations folks within Enbridge to uh, increase our uh, amount of uh, native business hires, um, both contractors and even we've got initiatives to try and
0: increase uh, our workforce with native hires too. Down in Oklahoma, do they do tarot, too?
1: Yeah, it's different. I mean, some tribes have a tarot office, some don't. Um, Like Osage doesn't, for example, but I think Pawnee Nation did. So um, wherever there's a tarot office, we work with them,
0: yeah. And you're talking about sovereignty, you're talking about tarot, and you're talking about um, tribal rights and treaty rights. I'm guessing that when you started learning a lot of this, it was like, man, People have to know federal law, state law, tribal law, acts, um, you know, legislation and all that. And it's crazy, you know, You th- people, I don't think it, people really understand what it means to be a tribal person at times. Because if you're a member, you know some obscure federal Indian law. No matter who you are, you know some if it's Indian education, if it's, um, I don't know, state, anything to do with the state, any treaties, anything. And then you go into state laws that are specific to, uh, you know, some of them are still on the books. And it's crazy that some of them are still on the books and super racist against um, American Indians. Yeah. And then you go into tribal laws and it it's really difficult to be a... Um, tribal person I mean in the sense of how much you have to know how much you have you're forced to know to be a part of the tribe or to know what rights that you have and then you got to keep on learning so you like learning the tarot thing I didn't know anything about tarot until I started until I started working at 18 years old I didn't know what that was I didn't know I had those kind of rights and but it's I don't think anyone I don't think people who aren't members can really appreciate how much an actual tribal person actually knows about these obscure laws.
1: Well, and you have to know
0: to pr- protect the rights, right? Make sure they don't get eroded
1: away, which tends to, unfortunately can happen. So, but I mean, it just goes back to as well. I mean, so, so much is not taught in schools about tribes. And I think I, I, people need to learn more just in general. Um, have a better understanding and you don't have to go back too far as you know in time. And the, I mean, there's, there's still stuff on the books, like you say, but there was some pretty egregious stuff that has been on there fairly recently. So that wasn't appealed even with cultural practices. Right. I mean, where you couldn't even do certain things. So a
0: lot, to, a lot of work to still be done. Dude. So what are some of the victories you've had recently?
1: Yeah, I think some of the, just some of the real positive outcomes we've had is uh, going back and meeting with the pipe carriers and the elders and, and uh, I was uh, presented with an eagle feather a couple of uh, months ago for the first time, uh, which was amazing. Of course, with our elders and the way they kind of tease each other, I thought I was getting punked, but it turned out to be a really good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then we've got some really um, great initiatives up at the Straits. Uh, We've, uh, got a work in progress with um, a nonprofit native owned nonprofit where uh, they're going to be looking at putting a ceremonial lodge in place um, up at the Straits uh, I'm still still working on a lot of the details on that uh, and just trying to find ways to uh, really support the native communities we have a, a, gr- a grant program and so if anyone out there in Michigan tribal members interested in in um, and learning more about that, reach out to me, and we can definitely uh, get some information to them. Uh, even we've sponsored uh, this year, uh, supported a, a independent filmmaker who's out um, doing screenings of uh, of a, a video she's put together, um, uh, talking about the, the warrior, uh, justice warrior, and and some of the efforts that are being made to protect some of the tri- tribal rights out there. So, you know, when there's a good uh, message and something that we feel uh, we can help support just happy to do it so um but i want a lot more wins like that i mean i'd love to see a lot more partnerships with uh with tribes you know i mean again when you have uh, uh from an Enbridge perspective you have assets out there that we have uh going th- near or uh, through uh uh tribal lands it's like you know there needs to be some benefit to to the tribes and we want to we, i'd love to see that advance further i know
0: enbridge would as well so on your what about your personal life? What victories have you – I know that eagle feather must go directly correlate with your personal life, but what personal victories have you had recently that you wouldn't mind sharing? Yeah. Um, wow. You know, I,
1: I'm trying to pick just one. Uh, I think, you know, getting up to Michigan – I've been exposed to more culture around the Pottawatomie getting to Michigan than I got in Oklahoma, um, frankly – and just learning so much more and, um, you know, offering tobacco. We have a respect practice that we do in, in Michigan when uh, we're doing – when Inbridge is doing work and um, we're sharing information with our employees on uh, as part of uh, new hires and stuff to, to really show them why we're doing certain things and respecting the culture. Um, but, yeah, on a personal note, I, I just – it's just making these connections with folks is just – I mean that's what it's all about. I mean, heck, going back to when I was a reporter, it's like you don't do this kind of work if you're not a people person. So you like to get out there and and uh, you know everyone everyone wants to make a difference, right? And uh, and I, I really think there's I, I I hope I am and I and I, I not just me, but I want to empower others to get out there and really do some really great work. Not, not only just from an Inbridge perspective, but just for the tribes themselves. If we can help, if I can help support any of that. I just want to see that happen. And we're getting there, and we're a year and a half in, so I I can't use the new kid card anymore because it's been over a year. But certainly want to see a lot more of that happen.
0: No, I appreciate you coming on and appreciate you sharing some of um, what you're doing with Enbridge and the great work you've done. And, you know, I totally get that. I wonder if that plays into that radio host. (laughs) Does that play into connecting with the elders? on a different level because uh I work I work in language I work in revitalization of Ojibwe I work in um ceremonies and culture and people don't know how to you know even the younger people don't even know how to communicate with the elders or ask the right questions and I, for me it's teaching them how to ask the right questions the best thing I heard from one of our elders was
1: you're, there's not a question that comes out of ignorance. It comes out of innocence. So as long as we all have that willingness to learn and, and be respectful and, and uh, with each other, you know, I, we can accomplish anything, right? I mean, it sounds a little bit cliche, but it's true. And, uh, uh that, that one saying really struck me though. Cause I think a lot of people are afraid when they are trying to learn the culture of that. Oh, I'm, I'm going to look stupid or whatever, you know, that ignorant side of things. But the elders, everyone I've dealt with have been so, they, they, they don't think that way at all. So if anyone wants to learn more about their culture or feels a little disconnected, find an elder and talk to them. Trust me, it'll be the best thing.
0: Well, I appreciate that. and I think we can end this episode right there. That's right. perfect. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Brent. As we say on the podcast, and the, here's the thing that we say on the podcast when we end the episode this is Ojibwe, so you can take this back, share this with the Potawatomi people, tell them um, this is how we do our Ojibwe salutation. We either say Gigawabaman, which means I'll see you later, but I like throwing out Weiweini Sanaa. ni sana in Ojibwe means take care.
1: We say Bama P. I've, um, I'm with our elders, and of course, Megwitch. Thank you.
0: Help oh, me